The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Side Studies. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm Rick Welch, and on my left is Cherry Lewis. Hello. And behind the glass is Andrew Aaron Bishop. Oh, all three names I'm in trouble again. Again. Yeah, that's what happens. Well, my credit card didn't work, so my name is Richard Joe Welch. If you, (laughs) 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 Yeah. So... We have been down quite a path here just because of, you know, Andy being curious or just really just having a laugh about Lucifer. And it has sent me on this incredible journey. And I am so glad, actually. Well, this has been fun. It has been. And today I sent Cherry my notes and she sent me a text earlier that said, I I was eating dinner. I finished your notes. I choked and I laughed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I got all the way to the bottom. You know, like when you just get to the last inning, you're just not seeing it coming. And then, bam, it's right there. That's mm-hmm. what happened to me. I went, bam. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, we've been doing a study on the resurrection. And I'm of the opinion, I'm, I'm, my beliefs are actually changing. And I'm of the opinion, I think it's quite possible that the resurrection of the dead, what they're talking about in Revelation has already occurred. I've, I've, all my studies lead to this. And whenever I break it out in time, I can see it. It's so fascinating to think. And everybody's like, really? This is the new heaven and the new earth? Really? This is what? And it's not the way that we think it is. Um, it's, it's hard to understand, but we're going to get there. When I get to, after we finish this study and we get into the Olivet Discourse, whenever Christ talks about the end of time or the end of days or the end of the age, you have to figure out which one he says. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of time like we think. It's not even the end of the earth. It's the end of the age. They use that a lot. And when they say that, then then that really helps you break it out. But anyway, this study has been nuts. And so... We're really going to get into it deep today because we know now we're going into Satan into the New Testament. But before we get there, I have to carry us a little bit further into the pseudepigrapha. And basically what happens is if you read the Old Testament and you there's no Satan in there except for in the book of Job. And that is a transliterary word. In my opinion, it's incorrect. He's the accuser. And or the adversary, but he's the accuser and he incites God. Basically what he's doing in the book of Job, he's going and looking for human beings to see if he can find one that can pass the tests, you know, and basically God says, how about this one? Yeah, I think this one will pass the test. And Job does. Job passed the test. And like Andy says, Job got bitter sugar in the end. However, so in my opinion, and this is my opinion, and I want to clarify something to everyone in the studio and, and, uh, and the audience that's listening to this. I am a layman. I am not a scholar. I have studied the Bible for a long time, but that does not make me anything better than anyone else, okay? So I am going to be incorrect on some of the things that I say on this podcast. We're going to do a correction episode. You know, we're going to go back. 
All right. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. We've booked some time where we can go back in and I want to do and say, you know, this is where I found out I was wrong later. You know, I've, I went back and listened to like episode two and I was like, oh man, I really blew a few of those there. But, um, so I'm going to be wrong on things, but the things that I do feel right about, I'm beginning to really like, they're starting to lock in and my beliefs change over time and I allow them to, if I learn something, you know, do you do the same? Yes, I do believe that actually is what we're supposed to do. Right. If you're growing and you're learning, it's going to change. Mm-hmm. If you're not, then you don't ever, you stay the same. Yeah. Andy, from an atheist perspective, what about you? Like, do you find yourself changing much? Not because of the podcast, but I just mean in life, like outside of maturing, just when you learn new things, like, do you do you adopt them and just say, you know, I'm going to live like that. Like, I'm going to start eating gr- more green vegetables today because, you know. Hard to say. I, I mean, I want to say yes, but I'm trying to think of a particular example. I think mostly actual change with people happens, like, glacially. Mm-hmm. I, I, really, I really think even a decision to change is just the, you know, it's just a slight left on the path you are taking previously mm-hmm. you know so nobody's quite the same as they were five years ago but no what's that oh my god there's a line from a okay go song nothing doesn't change but it doesn't change that much mm-hmm. that's a brilliant ass that's, line. That's that line brilliant is line. brilliant then that's that's how i feel about people too nothing doesn't change but it doesn't change that much you know and and I, it's hard it's yeah i feel like it do change like you know i do I I find different things interesting or uh and and, and I'm a definitely a different person than, you know, I was 20 years ago or something like that, but but only by an amount, right? Mm-hmm. Only by an amount. I don't know how much, but definitely some. Sure. When you when you've observed a person who has always been a specific way as long as you've known them. And they encounter Jesus the way that I know him and accept him as I know the way that we accept him and to watch their lives single-handedly change without the influence of man. Like it's not man that's changing these people. It's not like they're just showing up in church and they're getting all the doctrine and now they know how to act. and do. I'm talking about like, upside down, completely different person, somebody that used to, you could look at them and cuss them, they punch you in the mouth, Yeah, turning into a person that would take a punch in the face and turn the other cheek and mean it, you know, and just watch those like night and day changes. That's something that it just keeps me coming back, you know? Like when my faith gets weak and it starts to get dark, I, I remember seeing those changes in people just from a few words, you know, and like, wow, like really watching these people change. And I don't see very many things in life that do. I mean, you know, I guess it all depends on what perspective I'm coming from. You know, I've said in previous podcasts, I didn't realize how racist I was, which we didn't actually put in uh, to the episode because we felt like it was, it might've been a little too jarring, but I played it for my aunt the one that we talked about, my aunt is white and she's married to a black man and they have mixed children. And I played it for her and I said, is this offensive? And she laughed and she was like, no. <laughs> yeah. And she I was like, hurt so much worse. Her I know. Standards I said, might be. Yeah. Yeah. I said, would you please, you know, play this for your husband and 
uh, you know, let's make sure that he's okay with it. He laughs, you know, he's like, I really like that pilot joke, you know, and it's like, if you don't know the pilot joke, I was like, <laughs> I was trying to make a point. I wasn't trying to tell a joke, but it was, you know, and we laugh because of the jag, like you said, but my beliefs are changing. And, and this study has really helped me. I, I've always felt that there was something to be said when we look in the Old Testament and it talks about gods or the fallen angels or something like that. I never really thought about how just Adam eating a piece of fruit was enough to turn somebody into, you know, uh, a murderer, you know, or it was just enough uh, to turn somebody into, you know, a pornographer or a pedophile or whatever the evil thing might be because he ate a piece of fruit that he wasn't supposed to, you know. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it had some information in there. But the more I've learned from the study, it seems that man, man had been taught by some evil beings. And there are beings. It, the, it, if we're going to believe the Bible, then you have to believe this. The, it's, the evidence is there. So, did you have something to say? Nope. You sure? Yep. I sure am talking a lot, Cherry. Well, over the time that I have read the Bible, like I've, I think I've told you before, when you read about the little G-gods, mm -hmm. I've always questioned it, but I've never really talked to anybody about it. Not much. Yeah. They always say little G. And, and in our last talk about this, you had brought out the point, like, you know, people can take that little piggy bank and they can worship it. Yeah. Yeah, this is different. This, this isn't just the worship of something that doesn't exist. This is something that actually does exist. And God's not playing with you on these words. It's not a game. Right. You know, this these words that were written... And like I've said, whether it was inspired by God or whether it was just man that wrote this, it's important to understand the the theory of that there were many gods that were created by God. It, it you have to understand that God or who we call some call Jehovah or Yahweh, he chose the Hebrew people. He went to Abraham. He started a nation. He picked a people and said, I'm going to be the God of this people. And you are my people and I am your God. And if you will have no other God besides me, this is it. So you're going to see the effect of other gods on other nations. You know, the wicked will prosper and things will happen. But I'm your God. You follow me. So... So far, we've got into the understanding of the divine council, and uh, we see that there are these gods. They're either angels or heavenly beings or something. Um, they're called the watchers or the sons of God. Uh, the combination Hebraic word I found in the Strong's Concordance uh, with uh, the Hebrew H1121 and H430 is Bene Ha Elohim, which is what the sons of God is. That is not a human being. Uh, that is an angel or what they call the watcher. We know that they rebelled against God. We've, we've done that. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, it says that Yahweh is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And But I did find something really cool, that verse in Isaiah 45, 5, that says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. That I am Yahweh and there is no other was actually a, like an ancient biblical slogan. Uh, it's of 
incomparability of sovereignty, not an exclusivity of existence. It was a way of saying that a certain authority was the most powerful compared to all other authorities. So it didn't mean that there weren't other authorities. It just means that he that God is sovereign. He is the one that's over all of them. So they existed. Now, do you you hear what I'm saying? You, yeah. Do you have a do you believe this? Do I believe that he's the God above all gods? Do you believe that there were other gods that he created, or do you think, or do you just not know? I would have to say I have always questioned mm-hmm. and wondered. It mm-hmm. is not beyond my thought process to believe that there were. I mean, there are. Mm-hmm. I mean, if God never had a beginning, God doesn't have an end. He didn't really tell us when actually in the whole scheme of things that we came along. Who's When we don't know what he was capable of before us, he could have created anything he wanted. Sure. Yeah, I used to be heavy into, like, aliens. You know, I always wondered, like, what if there was this alien that took and did this, like, panspermia kind of thing where, like, they put Adam and Eve on our planet, you know, and then watch them and they spoke with them and things like that. And all of these other gods were actually just the race, you know, of aliens. And that there was one that was greater than the other. And that's how come they're supernatural and they can float because they're like Superman, you know, they got the Kryptonian blood in them. And so they can, when the sun hits them, they can fly. You know, like I used to, and I've read like Chariot of the Gods by, I think it's Eric Von Daniken. It's a fascinating book looking into like ancient cultures. Of course, there's a History Channel show, Ancient Aliens. That's a fascinating show. I used to really be into that too, you know? Yeah, like that was 15 years ago when that was on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. When there was about 100 less channels. True, yeah. And there was that that guy from... I forget his name, it was like Sokolis or something. And he had this like crazy big hair, you know? And when he oh, would talk about yeah, it, he was, he like, was definitely man, you a know? personality. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, I used to think about it that way and, you know, thinking, wow, you know, you, you, you see these giant, um, amazing pyramids or you see the Stonehenge and, you know, how did the, how did humans move those stones and make them vertical, you know, before they had hydraulics? And Yeah, that's fascinating. It Absolutely. Is. Yeah. And so I found a guy on YouTube. There's a guy up in Michigan who has developed this form of engineering where he can move these massive stones, like massive, like 300, 400, 500 pound stones, and he can like lift them vertically. Wow. Barely using... All he uses is wood and dirt and rocks. <laughs> and wow. it's cool, man. You should look it up. Like he could he could take a 300-pound stone and just through a series of these boards, he would just roll the stone and it would go like 20 feet. There's a 300-pound stone. I know I saw this thing once on the statues on Easter Island where they they showed how those giant stones, if you don't know, they're buried up to their necks. The whole thing started at their feet. And they're buried up to their necks. So they're not just big. They're massive. They're so much bigger than you think. If you've just ever seen the pictures, mm-hmm. you have to see one excavated. It's two and a half, three times as tall as the head is. But they did this show and they they had 
one of them or maybe just a piece of stone equivalently sized. And they took ropes and two teams of like three or six men on each side. And it had to do with the bevel on the bottom of the stone. And it, they wrapped a rope around it and kind of just like toggled it. And they could make the damn thing walk. Yeah. It would fall over and crush this building in half. And they just like, they could get the thing going and just walk the thing across the island as long as it was a relatively flat path. It was amazing. Wow. They were trying to figure out that, like how they could have moved those things. You should see them. If you've never seen a picture of one excavated, go look for it. Yeah. They're huge. Very much though, like the Stonehenge or Easter Island, those big massive stones that these people are moving. This one engineer, he, from Michigan, and, and it's a very interesting little YouTube thing. You should look it up, guys. He takes this big, giant, I think it's like one ton stone that was poured concrete, you know, like this giant rectangular stone. And you can't budget, you can't do anything with it, okay? So he jacks this thing up, and he puts two little round stones underneath it, about two feet apart, and then sets it back up. He could literally push the stone anywhere he wanted to as long as it was on a plane, a flat plane. He could turn it, move it. He could do whatever he wanted to it because there's no weight. There is weight to it, but because it's on those little tiny stones, it's lifting them up like a ball bearing it's almost. Balanced. Yeah, it's balanced on little ball bearings. Yeah, and so you take three ball bearings and now you have a full plane. And it, it'll lift it and it'll hold it. And it'll match. It'll be parallel with whatever plane it's on. And you could just push it and turn it. It would go wherever he wanted it to go. And it was massive. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, so... Yeah, something that would just feel like an entire part of the earth if it was just on the ground. Yes. Like that sort of unresponsiveness when you try to push something that is completely out of your ability. Just dead yeah. weight. Yeah. yeah. And then you take, you know, obviously the lever and the fulcrum and, you know, all there's so all physics behind all of this. It's pretty amazing. I guess the whole reason I brought it up was because when we look at ancient things that were built, if we look at ancient writings and all this, it sometimes it feels otherworldly because it's so incredible. But they were very, very smart. And we don't realize how smart they were. I feel like <laughs> humans have actually gotten less smart, you know, than they used to be. It's also like one of those things when you have a particular problem to solve and your job is to solve that problem and you have the tools at hand, you know, it's it's a different problem because we're looking at those same problems with hydraulics and mm -hmm. there's just, you know, you don't have a decade to figure out how to move these stones and, and absolutely no hydraulics. It just, it seems impossible because we just don't see it as possible. I don't think I'm phrasing it well, but you know what I mean? No, you phrase it fine. I totally got what you meant. Uh, have you heard, have you seen these houses that have been 3D printed? I've just did a picture. Yeah. yeah. And then lately I just heard that um, Elon Musk just bought a house called a boxable and he put it on the property where they, you know, were going to launch uh, the Falcon rocket. You know, he had this little boxable house. That's like an $83,000 home and it's literally 350 square feet, but you can live in it. You know, it's, and it's, you can put it on a truck and carry it, whatever. And it's not like a trailer. It's like a full on little, self-contained unit home. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So don't ask me how I got on Elon Musk. Anytime you start talking about technology or things like that, he, he comes up. Well, we, in the, we also, in the past study, we went through and understood Hasatan, which was the adversary in Numbers 22-22. 
we learned that that was a function. And then we moved on and we kept going into uh, the first book of Enoch where we learned, uh, and also in the Assumption of Moses, or not the Assumption of Moses, uh, the life of Adam and Eve, that you know there was a story in the Pseudepigrapha about how Satan decided the day that he decided um, when he became a fallen angel, he decided that he wasn't going to worship the image of God. Uh, man was made in God's image and he commanded them, you know, according to that book to worship and Satan wasn't having it, or at least the devil wasn't having it. So. Yeah, that was, that was interesting because again, it did answer that question. It does. Yeah. Like what is, what is Satan's deal, yo? Yeah, exactly. And if you look at it, from our from our perspective, if we just use the Old and New Testament, the narrative is that Satan's always been just a fallen angel and he's evil. But there's not enough information really to deduce that, unless you're like a biblical scholar and you're seeing something that I'm not seeing. There's not enough until you get to the end, you know, of Revelation, where you learn who Satan was way back when. So there, I found some more some more pseudepigraphal writings that I wanted to bring out. Because before um, Satan becomes the complete archenemy of God, it looks like, you know how we develop, like we were just talking about change, and you said, oh, we, we change, but not that much, right? But it looks like Satan being evil, that he grew over time. He got better at being who he was and was given the license to do so. Obviously, if God is if Yahweh is the god of gods and then the devil is the god of this world and he has the ability to offer Christ to this entire world, then that means he was given the license to be what he was, at least in a specific time frame. So, he became better at what he did. And do you know, when we get to the New Testament and we start reading about demon possession, it really wasn't in the Old Testament. You don't ever hear about demon possession. Did you know that? There aren't any, there's no demon possession possessing going on. That was one of the things that confused me because I was like, who are these demons and why are they possessing people? Like, not only did Satan get better at what he was doing, but the who he was ruling, the fallen angels, they had learned how to use a human as a host. They got new skills. They got new skills. That's a great way of putting it. That's in exactly. the Old Testament, they were more sorcerers. Yeah. They could call up like spirits from the dead, like, you know. Um, Saul called up Samuel. Right. Yeah, or the Witch With of Endor. The, yeah. yeah, the Witch of Endor did that. Like, there were the dark arts. You know, there was the Walgreens of the past. Remember witchcraft, pharmacy? <laughs> that was a callback if you didn't hear in a previous episode. So, I wanted, I found this really cool quote. What I've been saying about the pseudepigrapha. This comes from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Listen to this quote, because it made me feel better when I read it. Although they are called the Old Testament pseudepigrapha, these texts are important for New Testament scholarship as well, because the books of the New Testament were not written in isolation from the history, literature, and culture of their time. In fact, New Testament authors were familiar with portions of this literature. For example, the Epistle of Jude. There it is. I was like, yay! So, you know, the Epistle of Jude uh, contains references to two writings from the Pseudepigrapha, First Enoch and the Testament of Moses. I didn't even know about that one. Um, 
Second Peter, which was written after Jude and borrows many elements from Jude, alludes to the pseudepigrapha, but without explicit reference. This relates directly to issue in canon development and hermeneutics, offering a glimpse into the New Testament world's use of sources outside of Scripture. So that was a quote from the Lexham Bible Dictionary, which is really cool, which is a reference guide that we use when we study. Or not everybody does, but some do. So it's it's really important to note that what he's saying is that the history and literature and the, the culture of their time, that these pseudepigraphal writings, it really does draw it out. It also, it points out that the New Testament writers weren't, they were aware of these books, and so they were quoting them. So we can't escape the culture. Obviously, first century Jewish culture they believed the things about Satan, and they also believed in demons. They believed that demons could possess a human being. And the reason I know that is because Jesus mentions that. Do you remember when he talks to the—because they say the Pharisees run up to him and they tell Jesus that he is casting out demons by using the power of Beelzebub, who is like—I'll get into Beelzebub here in a little bit. But basically, he's like the lord of all the demons, like he's the ruler, which would be who the devil is. And he said, you know, if a house is divided, it cannot stand. And so if I cast out demons and I'm, you know, the demon, you know, like I'm sort of defeating myself, but yet you cast them out using the same. In other words, they were casting out demons too. So it was a common belief, even amongst the scholarship of the time, that demons were possessing people. And so Jesus, he had the power not only to exercise them, but when you get to the New Testament, they know who Jesus is. Yes. In fact, it's a demon that tells Jesus who he is before any human being ever says it. It's a demon that says, calls him the Son of God. The Holy One of God. That's It's the demon that says it. That's the, interesting. Where's that? Uh, I'll have to find it. I do have it in my notes, and I will get it. Um, let me search for you really quick and just show you, because I have it down in my notes here. So the maniac of Gadara, did he or did he not reference him to be the Son of God? What did he, what did he reference him as? Honestly, I can't remember. Because uh, when he, he approaches him, and of course, you know, he asks, when Jesus is talking, he says, what, the, what their name is, and he says, my, my name is Legion, for we are many. Mm-hmm. But I thought, if I remember right, I hadn't looked at the scripture, but I thought that, that they acknowledged Jesus as well. Yeah, it, well, I don't, I can't remember if they... I think they do know who he is because, yeah, they do, because then they tell him, cast me into the swine, so they know he has the power. So he removes them out of the man and then casts them in the swine, and they go mm-hmm. and they drown. Yeah. Yeah. So in Mark, I just found it in Mark chapter 1, verse 24. This is the first chapter of Mark, which is the first book that I read. I tell people to read in the New Testament, read the book of Mark. It was the first one to come out. Literally, the 24th verse end of the New Testament, it says, Um, away, what to us and to thee, Jesus the Nazarene? Thou didst come to destroy us. I have known thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. That's the demon speaking out of the man. So they knew that Jesus was coming to destroy them. That one of them says, have you come before the time? Right. Remember, like they know that there's been a time spoken when the Holy One's going to come and destroy them. They know it. It's an inevitability. 
That's a fascinating thing, man. Yeah, it's unexpected. So I am going to do this. I'm going to go back through the, the Pseudopigrapher for just a little bit because I want to describe to you in the first book of Enoch, I mentioned before that there were five Satans, okay? And there is one. Listen closely, and you'll pick out which one it is. You'll find out who he is. So this is First Enoch, chapter 29, verse 4 through 12. And here are the five Satans, starting with verse 4. The name of the first is Yakun. This is the one who led astray all the children of the holy angels, and he brought them down onto the dry ground and led them astray through the daughters of men. And the name of the second is Asbiel. This one suggested an evil plan to the children of the holy angels and led them astray so that they corrupted their bodies with the daughters of men. Okay, so one of them got them to come down, and the next one got them to corrupt the bodies. So they learned how to, get to, how to corrupt and impregnate uh, women. And the name of the third is Gadriel. This is the one that showed all the deadly blows to the son of men, sons of men, and he led astray Eve. And he showed the weapons of death to the children of men, the shield and the breastplate and the sword for slaughter and all the weapons of death to the sons of men. So this one that's named Gadriel, according to the book of Enoch, is the one that actually tempted Eve. So that would be the name of that one, right? And this same one, Gadriel, and from his hand they have gone out against those who dwell the dry ground from that time and forever and ever. And the name of the fourth is Penamu. This one showed the sons of men the bitter and the sweet and showed them all the secrets of their wisdom. He taught men the art of writing with... <laughs> You're going to like this. Listen to this, Andy. Cursive? <laughs> he, <I'm kidding. laughs> he taught them common core. No, it says, <laughs> he taught men the art of writing with ink and paper. And through this, many have gone astray from eternity to eternity and to this day. For men were not created for this, that they should confirm their faith like this with pen and ink. And here we are reading the Bible. Nothing changes. <laughs> the more it changes, the more it stays the same. That's right. For men were created no differently from the angels, so that they might remain righteous and pure, and death, which destroys everything, would not have touched them. But through this knowledge of theirs, they are being destroyed, and through this power, death consumes them. And the name of the fifth is Kazdaye. This one, Kazdaye West. No, just kidding. And the name of the fifth is Kazdaye. This one showed the sons of men all the evil blows of the spirits and of the demons, and the blows that attack the embryo in the womb so that it miscarries, and the blows that attack the soul, the bite of the serpent, and the blows that occur at midday, and the son of the serpent who is strong. So it's, you know, it's not exactly biblical, but maybe it would have been. I mean, if you try to read Revelation apart from anything else, that book sounds nuts, right? Yeah. It's like all these dragons and beasts and antichrists and, you know, the the prophets, and then there's false prophets, and then there's the scarlet woman, and then the stars, and then she gives birth. and like Sounds like Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's crazy. So I'm going to read now. This is another uh, pseudepigraphal book called the Assumption, uh, the Assumption or the Testament of Moses. Uh, this book was written in the first century, or at least they believe it was, and it's supposed to contain the secret prophecies that Moses passed on to Joshua uh, before he passed on the leadership of the Israelites to him. So, uh, as I said before, Moses did not go to the Promised Land. God didn't allow him to. He died. God buried him, and then. Uh, Joshua takes over the Israelites, and he's the one that leads them into the promised land. And so this is supposedly something that Moses passes on to Joshua. 
And then his kingdom shall appear throughout all his creation. And then Satan shall be no more, and sorrow shall depart with him. Then the hands of the angel shall be filled, who has been appointed chief, and he shall forthwith avenge them of their enemies. For the heavenly one will arise from his holy throne, and he will go forth from his holy habitation with indignation and wrath on account of his sons, and the earth shall tremble. To its confines shall it be shaken, and the high mountains shall be made low, and the hills shall be shaken and fall, and the horns of the sun shall be broken, and he shall be turned into darkness, and the moon shall not give her light, and be turned wholly into blood, and the circle of the stars shall be disturbed. And the sea shall retire into the abyss, and the fountains of water shall fail, and the rivers shall dry up. For the Most High will arise, the eternal God alone, and He will appear to punish the Gentiles, and He will destroy all their idols. Then you, O Israel, shall be happy, and you shall mount upon the necks and wings of the eagle, and they shall be ended. And God will exalt you, and He will cause you to approach to the heaven of the stars in the place of their habitation, and you will look from on high and see your enemies in Gehenna, and you shall recognize them and rejoice, and you shall give thanks and confess thy Creator. So this was something that supposedly Moses had said to Joshua, which sounds a lot like Revelation. It's pretty much describing it with the abyss and the fountains and the seas and the eagles and like all of it. It sounds so familiar to me. And then the last pseudepigraphal book that I'm going to read from, it's called Jubilees. And it's sort of a retelling of the Genesis account, all right? Um, But it also tells us something believed in regard to the Watchers. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 15 of the book of Jubilees. And in the second week of the 10th Jubilee, Mahalalel took unto him to wife Dinah, the daughter of Barakiel, the daughter of his father's brother, and she bare him a son in the third week in the sixth year. And he called his name Jared, for in his days the angels of the Lord descended on the earth, those who are named the watchers. Note this, that they should instruct the children of men and that they should do judgment and uprightness on the earth. So according to this book, it's saying that the angels descended. Now, do you remember... Jacob's ladder. Mm-hmm. Now, do you remember what it says? He said that he saw a ladder going into heaven and that angels were going up and down on mm-hmm. it. So it seems to be that the angels were allowed to leave heaven and come to the earth. That's what it seems like. Jesus makes reference to that ladder too, because he says that the angels go ascend and descend on the Son of Man. So he is Jacob's ladder. I I always thought they had the ability to do that based on the fact that in Job, you know, Mm -hmm. when they present and he asked Satan at the time, you know, where are you coming from? What are you doing? And he said, coming to and fro. And um, of course, then as you're reading through scripture, the angel of the Lord appears to man. He appears to Joshua, Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel, Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, of course, Abraham, when he was in the tent. So I've always thought that they were able to come and go. Mm-hmm. So they are. But it seems like there were some who made the decision 
to go against what Yahweh says. What what the instead of doing uprightness, they did the opposite, unrighteousness, you know, evil. So they made that choice. So obviously, angels didn't have to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil to to become what they became. They had the ability to do so all on their own. So that's funny, isn't that conflicting with some other things I've heard about angels where, uh, not that they didn't know the difference between good and evil. What am I trying to think of? Free will. Free will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doesn't that conflict with the free will thing I've heard before? You know, I think that we talked about, you know, some could be designed to do something. Like you could have one that was designed to be pure evil. Just like the angels that are mentioned in Revelation, when the ones that are flying beside the throne saying, holy, 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 um, is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's all they say, and that's what they're saying right now. Remember, Andy, because you're like, that's a rough gig. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so by design, they obviously, they see a holiness in God that no other angel does because that's all that they can do. That's all that they <laughs> do do. <laughs> and then you have, <laughs> I, I can't help it. I mean, it just happens. I don't know the English language. So if, it, how do I describe this? It seems that everybody has, every one of the angels or every human being or whatever, they all have their unique personality and they're, they're created in a specific way. But you think angels are like little machines. This yeah. is one of those guys that does backflips when you wind him up. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it feels like. You know, Michael and, and Gabriel, could they have fallen? I mean, Michael is the patron angel of Israel. It's obvious. Gabriel is the messenger that goes to Mary and to Joseph and talks about Christ. He's the one that goes to Daniel. Like, can they fall? I don't think so. so Unless they have the ability just like you and I do, to choose which direction you're going in. I think I think he's saying they're made so that, not that they can't necessarily make that choice, although maybe that's what he's saying, but I think it might be they're made so that they would not make right. that choice. Not that they couldn't. Like they were they created wouldn't. for a specific purpose, and that's And it's not what that they, they don't do. have free will. It's like a ball but really, like then a, they wouldn't have free will. No, no, but you know? I don't think Rick or I actually believe in free will anyway. <laughs> right. But right. But yes, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they do have free will. But it doesn't mean you have the inability to not choose. It just means the circumstances dictate that you won't. Right. Which is a fine line. <laughs> yes. I had a conversation with a gentleman at work today about this very thing. He was talking about predestination and election. People come to me with that for some reason. You know, they want to talk to me about it. I don't walk around talking about it. Like, I just they just come and ask me, you know? So that sandwich board you wore in, that's that's, that's just today. That's <laughs> it said the end of the world. It never said anything about choosing what you had to do. Yeah, so basically, he comes up and he's like, I just don't understand, you know, uh, how you could think that, you know, God would choose this. And, you know, I said, well, you know, Jesus says some pretty amazing things. He says, my sheep know my voice. So if you don't know his voice, then you aren't his sheep. And he also says, uh, he tells the disciples, behold, I have chosen you. You have not chosen me. He says, no man can come unto the Father unless, you know, unless the Son 
Now, how does he say it? No man can come to the Son unless the Father who has sent me draws him. Well, I think of the scripture, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you open the door, he'll, you'll, he'll come in and sup with you. Well, it's kind of like the UPS man. You usually don't go to the door until you know he's been there or he's knocking or something. Most people don't just automatically get up and go to the door. So, assuming that he's there. So, same scenario. It's kind of like you're not going to respond to Jesus' call if he doesn't knock first, Mm -hmm. which means he chose to come to your door. You didn't just randomly go to the door. Right. And so, He was standing there. So, the common belief is that Jesus is knocking on everybody's door. That's the common belief, yes. That's what that they believe the general call At is. At some point in time, he will knock on your door. That's the general belief. Right. Well, so you know how we've went over and over and over in this in the garden. I mentioned this today in that conversation at work. I mentioned this, and it, it kind of really drove it home. I think maybe it did for him. I don't know. But you know how God said, when you eat of the fruit, you'll surely die, and we said that he didn't. You know, like physically die, we, but spiritually, I believe, you know, you're separated from God, so we spirit. Well, it's said that um, Paul tells us that we were dead in trespasses yes. and sins. Correct? Yes. Okay. And I've asked you, did I ask you about, have you ever talked to a dead man before? No, you didn't ask me. That. Okay. Have you ever talked to a dead man before? Not that I'm aware of. Right. If you did, do you think he could talk back? No. If he did, it would be on October 31st and it would like freak you out. <laughs> like, or you, you know. I have, to, I have to reassess the situation. I don't think it was really bad. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the point is, is that... If to blaze. To, yeah. <laughs> that is a Princess Bride reference, which I love, by the way. Anybody want a peanut? I love that. <laughs> so, if if you're dead in trespasses and sin, it says you have be quickened mm-hmm. who were dead in trespasses and sin. Mm-hmm. So, quickening meaning brought to, to life. life. Mm-hmm. So, a dead man can't do anything. No. And so if you are dead in trespasses and sin, then how can you respond to anything, any call of any kind? He makes you alive. Yes. So I guess at some point in time, I would say that that would be where conviction would come in, I assume. I've heard that too. They So they say that the Holy Spirit convicts you, he wakes you up just long enough to look and make a choice. I don't know if that, or if it's just that, for me personally, like it was almost like a, a subtle drawing. Like it wasn't like a bam in your face. I kept having this overwhelming that I'm over here, but there's something over here. Yeah. And I even said that to my husband. I said, Do you ever just get the feeling? That you're walking down one path, but there's a there's a something over here that's a better way, and mm-hmm. you just got to figure out how to get there. Of course, you know, he looked at me like I had two heads at the time, but and there was no uh, source of explanation, I guess, for that. Like I couldn't figure it out. It was just this. this yeah, there was not like a. You didn't pick up a bulletin. No, I didn't pick like, up huh, anything. Yeah. There's a different way. <laughs> yeah. It was just like all of a sudden in my life, there was like a mo- an awe moment. And it was real subtle. And then I had weird people like Rick 
saying, throwing little things out, you know. And I, See, that's how I feel change works for people, mostly. I think and it, I it think it's you're sort right. of builds in the background, and then the turn is... It's a turn. It's not like, like a, a boat. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a boat. It's you know? like, yeah, you don't, you're not like, you're not like making a full 90 degree turn. You just kind of like ah, cock it the yeah. whole thing to the right a little bit. And then you're just slowly, you diverge from your original path until eventually you're pretty far away from it. But it takes yeah. a while, in my opinion. It, it seems like that. It seems like that also when uh, Eve was tempted in the garden, he said he was subtle. He was the most subtle of all in the garden. And I, I kind of think that way if you were, if, if things came to you uh, in that, bam, like, like a shotgun pattern yeah, right in your face. My um, moment of just, I mean, and some things do shock, you know, but for the most part, if it was something that was not going to be in your best interest, most people would go, nah, like if you've seen it coming, you wouldn't, right? Yeah, be a part of it. It just kind of in the moment. It might be one thing, but right by the next day, you're like, yeah, exactly. But so, so it kind of comes to you gradually. It almost seemed like it worked the same both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that my family, the, the mistake that they make with me in regard to my faith, is that they think that I'm afraid of death, or that I need to find an eternity in heaven in order to be satisfied with my life. They're so wrong. Like that's, that has nothing to do with why I am who I am and what I believe in. It's because I've come to know this God first outside of the Bible, then inside of the Bible, and then through my life journey. And it's just this longing to get to see and to know God, like to, the creator of all things. There's just a draw for me for that. Mm-hmm. I want to see the one that did this, you know? And, right. and if he allowed other beings that he made— and then he allowed them some to have free will or some to not have whatever. He made these decisions and he did all these things. And the way that this outcome came, there was this moment where he allowed it all, but because of his holiness and who he is, in order to reconcile all of those things, he had to give a piece of himself in order for us to be a part of that with him. There's something about God and there's something about man that can't work together unless that happens. To me, that's what it seems like. You know, it's easy to point at a perfect, all-knowing God and say, why can't you do this this way? You know, it's, yeah. it's easy to do that. I mean— <laughs> All it why, takes is the right circumstance. Yeah, just, you know, just make everything perfect, and, you know, you're going to walk around like little automatons, and you don't have any kind of choice whatsoever. I don't I don't know about salvation, and when you, when you talk about— predestination and election and free will and all these stuff, just aside from all of that stuff, all of the doctrines and all that stuff. To me, the draw was, I want to know him better. And he is holy. And it's difficult to approach a holy God when you are the way that I am. And so because of what Christ did, it allows me to get to him. And because it gives me the, it says that you can approach the throne boldly through our prayer life that we can approach. And I do. And I get, I see responses in my life. I see not only personally, but I see it around me, you know? And that's what I'm after. It's like, I'm not demanding holiness from everybody. Right. You know, my mom always used to say, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I'm like, we're all hypocrites. Right, exactly. Join the crowd. (laughs) Come to church with us. You'll be just like us, you know? like Exactly. I mean, really, it's not, that's not what it's about. You know, when we talk about the brethren, like when we meet and we get together, 
like one of the reasons I love you is because you're just straight up and you're honest and I can be real with you and you're totally cool with it. And other people can be real with you and you're totally cool with it. It's just, it's, it's how life is. But I think we're both on the same path. Like we just want to know God. We want to know him. And he's the one that made all these things. And you can call it the universe if you'd like, you know, you can call it whatever. I don't, I'm not going to get into all that with you guys. You know, I'm not going to argue all that. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to tell you that you're going to hell either. Come on, man. I am not the judge of the planet Earth. Right. But I have found something that has given me tremendous hope, and it's taught me how to love beyond anything I've ever been able to do on my own. I promise you. And that's him. And I want to know that more. I just do. You know? Me too. Time for a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well... All right, so let's get back to this, guys. That was a great little break there from what we were talking about. So let's get let's get back. So here we are. We've read these pseudepigraphal writings, and this I've got this one last quote that I would like to read from the pseudepigraphal, and then we're going to just blast into the New Testament. It's going to be really fast because if you want to know all about Satan, obviously you've heard everybody talk about it up to this point. But from the book of the Life of Adam and Eve that I read from last week. Uh, this is out of chapter 33. It says something about, it says, Moreover, the Lord God gave us two angels to guard us. This must be uh, Adam talking. The hour came when the angels had ascended to worship in the sight of God. Immediately, the enemy, the devil, found an opportunity while the angels were absent. And the devil led your mother astray to eat of the unlawful and forbidden tree, and she ate and gave to me. So, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the pseudepigraphal writings give you lots of different stories to try to help you understand where they are. Here's something that you have to agree with. First century Jews, whenever they start reading the gospel according to Mark, it's obvious that they believe in demonic possession. Yes. All of them. Yes. Scholars alike. The whole Jewish world believed in demonic possession because they're talking about it as if it's just secondhand nature. Like it's just, it's just life. Even he was demon possessed and mm-hmm. they recognized who he was. Because in if here's where we first hear about Satan in the New Testament. It says, uh, Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4 so that you can see what this temptation that we're talking about is. So here we get introduced to the devil himself, to the one that's ruling all of the demons. According to the first century Jews, this is what they believed. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now, do you remember what we read in the life of Adam and Eve? Do you remember how oh, about, about being the, in the, river. the penance, the temptation, the penance? But yeah. do you remember the penance that Adam tells Eve? He said, "You stay in the water yes. for thirty-seven days. I'm going to do it for, for forty. 40. Uh-huh. Well, Jesus did it for forty days and forty nights. So it's almost like what Adam was saying was, "I believe that if I do that, then you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make my penance. I'm hopefully I can be brought back into God's presence. He'll give me the angelic food. We won't have to suffer. Like that's what he's doing. And then." The devil tricks Eve and eventually gets Adam out of the water too, so it never takes place. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so Jesus accomplishes it. He fasts 40 days and 40 nights, then became hungry, and the tempter, now he's called the tempter here, came and said to him, if you are the son of God, that's the first question. So Satan knows what Christ is here for, but he comes up to him and he's, I wonder if he even knows. It's like he does, but he doesn't. He's testing him. So he says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So he's super hungry. Have you ever been tempted to do something? Totally. Chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Daily. If you are a daughter of the Lord, do not eat this dove chocolate in my hand right now. You know, right? (laughs) Yeah. So so he's starving. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And the tempter comes like, hey, look, if you're hungry and you are who you say you are, just make those stones into bread. It's interesting, if you remember the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness and they got hungry, mm-hmm. God provided a manna. manna. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, manna means what is it? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that manna. one. They're like, excellent. what is that? You know, like, <laughs> I am so tired of eating this garbage bread, you know, and it's like... <laughs> this whatever it is. So Jesus answers Satan, he says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So here's the second temptation. It's a little different, right? He puts him on a pinnacle and says, throw yourself down. So I have a really interesting question for you. Hmm. What's so tempting about that? About throwing yourself down? What is the temptation there? What do you think it is, Andy? I don't know. To get away from that guy? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. Now, I have always thought that it was like... Kind of like suicide or yes. something. Like, really, you thought that? Yes, I've always. Thought You're like that. the only person that's ever said that to me. That's exactly <laughs> what I think it is. I mean, it seems weird, but yeah, I do think that. A lot of people say, "Well, they just want to, you know, uh, uh, just to prove that he he's God. He can fly. The angels, they're gonna make him fly like a blue angels, you know." And I'm like, that's not tempting. Like jumping off a high place. Yeah, my thought was so that I didn't have to deal with this person anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's tempting to me. Yeah, I mean like, am I bugging you to death? Like I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. He's like, I can't take it anymore. Ah! Yeah, (laughs) worth it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm always like brought to the life of Brian whenever Brian jumps off the temple and he comes down and the aliens sweep down and grab him and fly him (laughs) into space. Did you ever see that? The life of Brian. I forgot that. Yes, I forgot that. That's I, the moment. That's what's happening. He's like the Christ in that story. And so the angels fly him up and there's like an intergalactic battle. <laughs> it's just insane. So to me, it was that the temptation was suicide. That's what mm-hmm. I think it is. I'm mean, Look, again, everybody, I am a layman. I don't know. But I mean, that seems reasonable enough. Sure. I, look, he was born to come and suffer. Mm-hmm. He had left the portals of glory as a holy son of God, and became a fleshly man mm-hmm. that was tempted in every way in which we were, and he was suffering. If he was tempted in every which way we were, would you think that suicide could be tempting to some? 
Yeah. Yes. It's a means so of a he, way out. Yes. So he obviously was tempted to kill himself. But he says, if you are who you say you are, they won't let you. Right. Because you have a purpose to fulfill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But God's answer was this. On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So don't test him. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Now, this one really speaks to me. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Do you remember in the life of Adam and Eve why the devil took out Eve? Because he didn't want to have to worship the creation. Because, yeah, because God wanted him to worship his image, Mm -hmm. Adam, Mm -hmm. and he refused to do it. He felt Adam was beneath him because he was second made. That's right. And so Adam, being who he was, Christ is called the second Adam. Look what the devil is saying to me. I will give you all of my world. And by the way, he had the power to do so Mm -hmm. because Yahweh had given him the license to own it. He owned the world at this time. He was the the prince of the power of the air, the king of this dark world. So he says, if you fall down and worship me, I will give you everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? This is what Jesus says. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus makes it very clear, Yahweh is the one. There is no one beside him, mm-hmm. which is the slogan. <clears throat> there have no other gods before me. If he's the God of this world, and the Bible says that he is, and we yes. know that he's a being and it's opposite of God, then he's saying there is no other God, including you. Yahweh is number one. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yes. It says, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Mm-hmm. If you remember, it was the angels that guarded the paradise to keep Adam and Eve from wow. getting back in. Mm-hmm. In this case, because of him passing the test, the angels came and helped him. Because the whole point is that he is going to go to the cross. He's going to sacrifice himself for man. Satan knew the story. Satan knows this. Um, in that little verse that he says, when he quotes that verse, I think it's Isaiah, when he says that, you know, jump off this place because it says that he will give his angels charge over thee, lest your foot dash against the stone. And the very next line in that, in that verse where he stops, where Satan stops, says, and crushes the serpent. So it's like he takes the verses of the scripture and he holds it, I mean, or right. the, the adder, like just enough. Yeah. So he takes God's word and he bends it and he molds mm-hmm. it. And because he does that, your brain will think a specific way, which is what we've been talking about on this podcast. Doctrines can do that to people. You know, yes. why Why do we have Baptist, Methodist? Oh, and hold on. Let's just go back to Baptist. Free will Baptist. Yeah. Calvinist Baptist. Missionary Baptist. You know, Church of God, Church of Christ. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's mm-hmm. it's endless. You know how many different sects there are. Uh, we're non-denominational. You know, we don't have to be in a no denomination. You're the denomination of the non-denominational. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like sign up. You know, when you're voting. You know, so just using the Old Testament and the New Testament alone, in my opinion, there's not enough. Yes, he's evil. Yes, you learn a lot about him. Paul speaks a lot about the devil. 
But for this, this is not the final episode on Satan. We are we have one and final. I'm gonna we're gonna tie this thing up. All right, completely with what the New Testament in the in the epistles later on outside of the Gospels. We're going to get in a little bit more of the demons and what Jesus says to the demons, what, what the effect the demons had on humans, whether it was through a disease, uh, whether it was through mental change. Uh, we're going to get into the maniac of Gadara, and we're going to learn a little bit about how Christ, when he said, "I ha- I must go across, I must go across the sea." Because he knew he was there, but there's a scripture that says there's two of them, and there's. Did you know that? Not until I read the notes, and if I have read it, it's just not coming to my mind. Yeah, we always hear of him as the maniac of Gadara, but there was actually two. There are the maniacs of Gadara. Yeah, I, I don't know what that is, so I guess I will have to wait. Yeah, it's a really good, like it. It's it's a incredible story. It really is. I mean. Christ, just to give you a, a little taste, when Christ is in the midst of all these people in the press, he's trying to teach, and, and he's being led. There's a problem on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's this demonically possessed man or men that are being chained up in the tombs because they're insane, and they are violent, and they claw at themselves. It sounds like someone with some sort of schizophrenia um, paranoia. Uh, you know how some paranoid schizophrenics have like incredible strength, you know. Um, in this particular story, they're suffering and all they can do is really like chain them up, but they're breaking the chains and they're just insane and they're naked and they're like scratching themselves and screaming at night and like they're just crazy. And as Jesus is coming across the Sea of Galilee, that's when the storm hits, you know, and it's taken out the boat and, you know, Jesus calms the sea and then they get to the other side and then they come up to him. And that's when he asks them what their name is. And we talked about this before. His name was Legion. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And so you'll see how the first century Jews believed in demonic possession, but not only that, but how they accepted the story. We're talking about the Holy One of God, the Son of God, whether you believe or not. Those people believed in demonic possession at that time, and evidently Christ had the ability to fix things in people, you know, uh, and to extrapolate whatever it was that was inside them and do away with it forever. He had that capability. Well, I had, uh, as I read the Bible, um, you know, I found, I went to Rodney several times and I was like, hey, you know, don't you find this interesting that... um, Moses threw down his staff, it becomes a snake. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the sorcerers for um, Pharaoh could do the same. And and then I found it interesting that Saul was able to go to the woman and they were able to conjure Samuel back up. And, um, and then you go through and you got this, this Shunammite woman. Elijah comes back. He lays on the little boy brings him back to life. And as you're reading through scripture, like all these like crazy things are able to happen. And it's just, then you get into the New Testament and you've got him casting out demons and, uh, you know, the woman whose son was dead the, and he touches the the coffin mm-hmm. and then, you know, the young man's back alive, just all these things. And I thought, don't you find this odd that Everybody just kind of just keeps going like it's normal. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought like that was odd. I'm yeah. like, that's a little, I mean, if you've seen that, if I've seen that, you know, I might be a little. I'd be on TikTok right now. Yeah. Check it out. It. But, you yeah. know, I kept saying to Rodney, I was like, don't you think this is odd that nobody thinks it's odd? Yeah, Dr. Michael Heiser, if if you're not familiar with the Naked Bible podcast, mm-hmm. you should look it up. It's on Spotify. It is a fantastic podcast, and it's not what you would expect by the name. Uh, it's not like Super Bible and you know preaching. It's not that. This man is incredibly intelligent, and he is an Old Testament scholar, and he breaks down Exodus tremendously well. It's like a, man, I think it's like a 40 or 50 part series. I mean, it's pretty deep, but he talks about how, um, you know, all the plagues mm-hmm. that were brought, mm-hmm. that each one of those plagues was Yahweh defeating one of the Egyptian gods. Each one of those plagues were a god. The frogs, yeah. the locusts, the blood, mm-hmm. like all of those were gods. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And so what he was doing was bringing a plague against Egypt with their own god. And supposedly, um, I think it's in the book of Enoch, it talks about Mastema, and Mastema is the god of the Egyptians who gave them, the the sorcerers of Egypt, the power to turn rods into snakes. <laughs> and so Yahweh's snake ate up the other Yeah, the other ones. snakes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's what's happening. The thought I had when you said you know, about him throwing the staff down and turning into a snake like this other guy. I was like, where does that come from? Because that's, there's a basis for that. So, yep. Yeah. And then, and then I didn't have to say anything and you answered it. For yeah. Me. <laughs> so that, you know, these, the sorcery that they're able to do, it's like when God chooses, you know, a specific person, they come in and it's like, they're eradicating the God. Like you're always like, you talked about Baal, you know, I believe that Baal was an actual God and Dagon was an actual God. It wasn't just a statue. It was an actual God. It was a ruler over the nation that Christ did away with. I really believe that. I really do. I, I didn't before, but I do now. And it makes more sense to me now. Whereas before I was so confused all the time and it's like, wow, I've got some answers now. You know, I'm so glad Andy brought this up. It's been a good, me, been a good journey, man. Me too. This has been, this has been fun so far. So Yeah. Well, I've got a great joke. All right. <laughs> I don't believe you. Dude. <laughs> You're going to have to forgive me, the audience. I am going to be, I am going to say a cuss word. Oh, no. Oh, no. Should I bleep it? No. Leave that sucker out. You can't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a preacher, and he's preaching really hard on a Sunday morning, and he's preaching on loving your enemies. And he is hammering that pulpit, and he is sweating on his brow, and he's pointing at that congregation. And they're all looking at their watch, you know. It's like 12.05. Yeah. He's going over a little bit. That's a little bit too much. So finally he says, all right, brethren. He says, anybody that's going to love your enemies, I want you to stand with me right now. And so 50% of the church stood. Well, that's not good enough. So he was like, sit back down. And he hammers on that pulpit and he's preaching harder. You got to love your enemies, you know, and he keeps on going. Man, it's like 1235 now. He went on another half hour. I mean, the chicken's you know, starting to get cold. Like, mm-hmm. we need to get home and eat. And so he says, now, brethren, he says, anybody going to love their enemies with me? And like 80%. That's not going to sit back down. Bam, he's hitting this, you know. This guy preaches to 115. I mean, the church, they're going to vote him out next weekend. But right. here's the deal. <laughs> he's preaching this hard. And he was like, all right, everybody. He said, brethren, 
If you're going to love your enemies, I want you to stand with me. Well, by this point, everybody's starving to death. They're trying to get, you know, to Golden Corral to get that buffet because they need it. So <laughs> all of them stand up except one little old lady. Well, this preacher is just ripping his heart out. He looks and he says, Mrs. Jones, I see you sitting there. Are you not going to love your enemies? And she said, preacher, I don't have any. He said, everybody sit down. And he says, Miss Jones, he said, I want you to walk up here with me. He said, you've touched my heart. He said, now turn around. He said, I want you to look at this congregation. And she says, okay. And he says, uh, Miss Jones, tell me. He said, how old are you? She said, I'm 93. You've seen people do that in church, right? They asked the little old lady in the church, how old are you? I'm 93. And you love the Lord. Yes, I love the Lord. And you said, when I asked about loving your enemies, and you said that you didn't have any. She said, that's right. I outlived those bitches. <laughs> Love it. Uh, great. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Goodness. Don't beep it. I have wrestled with that word. Like, do I say bitches? Those are female dogs. So that's okay. I, I, get, a I get a pass. Thing. Listen, I saw heartwarming medication for dogs one time. And it said, do not administer to lactating bitches. Well, it is the, the technical medical term. Sure. It's, yeah. It's not a slang term I mean, in that context. I'm not going to give it to him. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Cherry, as always. Yes, thank you. You talked a lot more today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And Andy. Thank you. Yep. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Bye. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Start over. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> we stopped the recording, but we just can't. We got to hear this story from Cherry. Go ahead. Is it dirty? No. Oh, never mind. Shut it off. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> There's no bitches in this one. <laughs> anyway. Why did you say it so low? So, guys, it's just so... It's a secret. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so when I go out west, um, the class that I teach is zero, usually to seven. Well, this year, uh, I would have had all the children pretty much. So we kind of revamped the numbers. So I had zero to five. So I had to teach on creation. And then we did the curse for the second night and then the cross for the third night. So when we got to um, the curse, of course, I had an image of Adam and Eve. And I made this snake out of uh, paper, like chain links. So I made him you know, probably every bit of seven foot long. So kind of cool, you know, kids, yep. they like to interact. Leave an impression. Yeah. yeah. And they actually learn better that way. So I'm up there and I've got my Adam and Eve up there. And I've got my image of the, the garden and I put myself a little apple. I made it yellow because one of our children was like, well, the red apple or red, the color red reminded them of the blood of Jesus. So I made it yellow apple instead. Put it on a tongue depressor or a, stick and i'm like okay so i'm teaching the little kids about the apple and here's the snake and he's given you know even uh adam you know they take the apple and they eat and this one little girl she was four and she looks up at me and she has the most serious look on her face and she said but i didn't eat the apple <laughs> <laughs> me either sister and i was like you're right. You didn't. <laughs> yeah. And then another little kid goes, 
we shouldn't talk to snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Man, out of the mouths of babes. Yeah, and I mean, the look on their faces, uh, I couldn't even, I just, I had to quit. I just couldn't. Like, I, I was like, you guys are killing me. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> and so. And you're accurate. Yeah. The thing is, <laughs> they shouldn't. had the most honest, innocent, like, but why? I didn't need the apple. I wasn't there. And, and I didn't talk to the snakes. snake. Yeah. So yeah. why am I in trouble for disobeying? <laughs> I said, end of story. Anybody want to color? And they're like, yeah. That was cute. Let's go color. Yeah. Let's I make some color. fun out of this. So yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. some of my story there. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, we're rolling. I'm going to give myself a water and shut that door behind me because that glare is making it impossible to see Cherry. All right. Well, you know, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> you only got to hear me. You don't got to look at me. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't like that. I'm just not. I'm not a big crier anyway. And mm-hmm. so when it happens, I'm kind of like. <laughs> You're a hot mess. When you I finally just, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's usually when I'm mad. Yeah. I've been surprised. I've had a lot of like grown men in the last couple of months talking to me and suddenly bursting into tears and yeah. Why are you so mean to grown men? Rip? Well, and that's, it's actually not because I'm mean, it's because I'm being compassionate. And so it's like the more compassion I show, you know, I've met a lot of men that had very rough fathers. I think like their, their fathers were very, you know, strict on them. And, and so when they see they've, I've had a few men tell me, you know, I see you giving these people particular chances and you're talking to them and you're trying to help. And then they just start crying and I'm like, do some push-ups or something. You know? <laughs> Suck it up, That's buttercup. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we were we were watching uh, Major Pain the other night. I love that movie. Have you seen it? Yes, I love it How too. about you, Andy? Like forever ago? Yeah. Well, we were just talking about it, so I bought it on Voodoo. And literally, it came out on Netflix like three days later. Oh. I know. But now you <laughs> own Major Pain. Now I can watch it whenever I want, even if Netflix takes it off. Which, by the way, that 70s show has been removed from all streaming media. Why? I don't know. It's so irritating. It's I love that show. On, like Peacock or something? You figure Peacock would Nothing. Wow. wonder why. I don't know. I mean, it was a Fox show, and... It was on Netflix forever until this past fall, and then I guess they couldn't work a deal out. And then, like, the only place you can get it, you have to buy it on Amazon. Like, that's the only place, and you have to buy it, and it's like 30 bucks a season. Oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah forget that. A, that ain't cheap. No, 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 no. And I love that show, so I'm, like, looking on eBay trying to find, like, the full box set, you know, for, like, 50 bucks or something. Wow. I'm sure they'll put it up somewhere. I mean, all that stuff is... Since streaming is now the way everybody's reclaiming their their properties so they can own and control them and make money off of them. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point, right? I mean, that's what streaming has become. What used to be reruns, now you can... I mean, what they said that The Office is like when it's still like the number one show in America. Yeah, yeah that and like Friends is way up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're still incredibly popular, more popular than, you know, shows that are on today. Yeah. Modern, I can see yeah. why. Hmm? I can see why. You don't like the shows today? Did you ever watch The Office? 
I'm not a big fan of The Office. Did you ever get past season one? Because it's kind of garbage. You've got to get past season one. Yeah. That's probably why it was yeah. never a big it's, fan of it's mine. It's a tough end because Steve Carell's character is difficult. Mm-hmm. You, I think Rodney likes it. Yeah. It's really good. It really, it does pay. But the first not season, though, it really, it's like, it's too close to the British version. Which is trash and unwatchable. <laughs> yeah. I actually like it now. Like, I, I went back and watched it. It's just so cringeworthy. Like, everything that that guy, Ricky Gervais's character is so cringeworthy. And it's it's awful. Like, <laughs> but my favorite, <clears throat> Gay Witch Hunt. Did you ever see that? The Is that... It's the one where um, I've probably seen it. There isn't many I haven't, but it's 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 um, Michael Scott, you know, played by Steve uh, Carell, says, um, or basically Toby, the HR rep, comes in and tells him, Michael, you're not allowed to call people faggy, and he was like. <laughs> Yeah, call everybody faggy, you know? And he's like, well, you can't call Oscar faggy. And he was like, he was acting faggy. He was like, Oscar is an actual homosexual. And he was like, oh, yeah, right. Okay, that's funny. He's like, no, what I'm trying to tell you is that he is actually a homosexual. You cannot call him faggy. (laughs) And he's like, he's like, look. If I had known that, you know, I would have never said it. So he, go- <laughs> so he goes through his explanation, and his explanation is like, look, you don't call retarded people retards. You call your friends retards who are acting retarded. And you're like, this guy's getting worse and worse and worse. So anyway, I love that show. It's very, very funny. Ralph Hicks is calling me on the phone. Let me take this. Oh, it's too late. Sorry, Ralph. He's supposed to be here, but he said he couldn't be. Now he's calling me. So anyway. Maybe he wants to phone it in. Maybe so. 